Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to fundraising success, and practical nonprofit management advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to expert nonprofit management. Guests on the Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share their insider tips and trade secrets in a conversational style both the experienced and novice will benefit from. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on Radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here to the latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we've got lots of updates as part of page one for you today. As the announcer mentioned, when we get to our page two expert today, uh, who is Rob Mitchell, the CEO of Atlas of Giving, uh, please call in uh, at 347-324-3080 to ask your questions. You can also join us over in the chat room and ask questions there, or feel free to email me your questions at tedhart.com at tedhart.com. We've got a full show today. Um, we've only got one more show before uh, the holiday break, and I'll tell you more about that later on. We've got a very exciting guest uh, next week as we wrap up before the holidays. Uh, but let's get started here on Page One News. As has been our tradition uh, for the last uh, few shows, uh, we are also live over on Facebook, so you can join us at facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart. You can also ask questions there if you would like. Um, first up here on the Nonprofit Coach, and we will uh, post this link uh, over on uh, Facebook for you, uh, and that is from Nonprofit Management. Uh, obviously, um, lots uh, uh, that we could talk about. Uh, this is not a political show, but the nation is reeling from uh, unexpected outcome of the 2016 uh, election. Um, whichever side of uh, the ledger you were on uh, definitely was uh, uh, not what was uh, forecast. Uh, so uh, this article helps you think through, it's called Nonprofits in Limbo, Preparing for the Unexpected. Um, and I thought I would just share um, sort of the, the final concluding uh, note here um, from Deloitte um, Consulting, uh, where they have concluded that directors of organizations should get out of the same old boardroom and should even look at cross borders to learn from approaches in different nonprofits and companies. Developing new skills and insights are essential for innovation and should be sought to create a questioning and challenging environment needed to imagine, inspire, and develop uh, better outcomes and impacts 
Um, the final word here is complacency in uncertain times can be a killer. So we are going to post that link uh, for you over on uh, Facebook so you can follow along there. Uh, and then first up here on page one uh, news, it's my pleasure to welcome back here uh, to the Nonprofit Coach, the Media and Outreach Manager over at GuideStar. Jackie Enterline is here with us. Uh, and Jackie, you've got the GuideStar Minute. Uh, bring us up to date mm -hmm. with what's going on at GuideStar. Absolutely. Thank you, Ted. So we've been pretty busy over the past few months and also a lot going on in the pipeline for 2017. But since you were chatting a little bit about Facebook, one of our most exciting partnerships over the past month, I'm not sure if you're aware, but back in November, right before Giving Tuesday, Facebook launched charitable donations. And so we partnered yes. with them at GuideStar, and they also partnered with Network for Good to launch a new tool called Fundraisers. So that's been really exciting, and basically Facebook is relying on GuideStar data to verify the legitimacy of a nonprofit. So you or I can go on and donate to some of our friends' fundraisers, or we can create our own um, for some of our favorite nonprofits. So that is really terrific news and, and certainly gives a lot of confidence. Um, how would nonprofit organizations who are listeners today make best use mm -hmm. of that new partnership? So definitely encouraging um, any sort of supporter to create separate fundraisers. You can also now, don't, well, users can now donate directly through a nonprofit's profile page on Facebook um, and also, key kind of point is through the verification process with the Facebook page, it links back to the GuideStar nonprofit profile. So it's just another reason to make sure you're keeping your profile up to date on all fronts. Yeah, and we, as you know, here on the Nonprofit Coach, we always encourage nonprofits to be updating their information. Uh, can you just kind of walk through the steps to make sure that all of our listeners today know exactly what that means and how they can do that? Absolutely. So GuideStar has four different seals of transparency. So bronze is filling out bronze is basic information, which is so you can be found. Silver is financial information to kind of show trust to your donors and key decision makers. Gold is more qualitative information, so theory of change and similar questions you'd find on an annual report or grant application. And then Platinum, which launched back in May, so one of our newest deals of transparency, is metrics to show progress and results you're making towards your mission. So Terrific. obviously, and and I will note to our listeners uh, who know that I'm uh, I serve as the CEO of CAF America, Charities Aid Foundation of America, which uh, specializes in helping donors. Uh, make gifts uh, outside of the United States to charitable causes, but receive a U.S. tax deduction, and we're very pleased uh, to be certified as platinum. Thank you. Yes, a more robust platinum profile definitely helps get in front of more donors and funders. So there's benefits right. to making it all the way up there. Um, kind what of else do you have uh, for about, updates at GuideStart? Yeah, so... In line with the profiles, in 2017, we're launching the new profile standard. And so that's just kind of the best practice for collecting and sharing information. And this, our team partnered with a bunch of different nonprofits, funders, and other sector experts to kind of create a more robust and tailored profile, which will help increase mobile giving, uh, increase nonprofit mm -hmm. visibility, help better route donations directly to the nonprofit, and of course, to better help illustrate the work that these nonprofits are doing. And finally, um, in 2017, we're launching annual fields of transparency. So instead of just earning your bronze, silver, gold, or platinum, you are now going to be able to earn your 2017 bronze, silver, gold, or platinum. So that way, anyone viewing your profile knows it is absolutely up to date. That's terrific. And we're posting over on our Facebook uh, page, facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart, along with this show, the, the link uh, directly to how nonprofits can update their nonprofit report so that they'll have that direct link. Wonderful. Thank you. And we do host 
workshops where you can kind of get small group help, or we have a profile coach, which you can learn a little bit more about on that page, and it kind of gives you one-on-one help if you have specific questions about updating your profile. Terrific. Well, really uh, important updates today. Uh, Jackie Enterline, Media and Outreach Manager over at GuideStar, uh, thank you so much uh, for your updates, and we look forward to uh, your next GuideStar Minute here on the Nonprofit Coach. Great. Thanks so much, Ted, and we'll chat with you in the new year. You got it. Happy holidays. Uh, next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, here on page one, uh, George Hamilton uh, from CFRE uh, is here with the CFRE Minute. So, uh, George, uh, give us uh, the latest update on what's going on over at CFRE. Just making note again that here on the Nonprofit Coach, uh, we are uh, big advocates of CFRE and do encourage all of our listeners uh, who qualify uh, to sit for the exam and to become certified. So bring us up to date, George Hamilton. Sure thing. Happy to, Ted. And uh, I'd like to wish a happy holidays to, to you and all your listeners. Um, happy holidays. First, yeah. Well, first, um, we're excited to, to welcome the 191 newest CFRE credentialed fundraisers um, in eight countries around the world. Um, who successfully achieved CFRE certification in this final testing window of 2016. Um, that just closed on, on November 30th. Um, so including that new group of CFREs from, from the final testing window, we welcomed 682 total new CFRE certificates in 2016, and that's up 9.5% from, uh, from 2015. So we're, we're still seeing steady growth um, in the number of people, you know, seeking out and achieving their CFRE certification year over year. Um, the other exciting thing is that um, with that new class of 191 CFREs, it brings the total number of CFREs um, certified worldwide to over 6,000. So we'll be ending the, uh, ending the year with over 6,000 CFREs around the world. Um, and that, that is a is very exciting number. Congratulations to uh, uh, to everyone at CFRE. I know it's uh, not always easy to, to – uh, uh, find those people around the world who can qualify and then to walk them through the process. Uh, just for you to know, over on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart, we are sharing the link of CFRE uh, to apply for the new applicant. Um, and uh, just I think you know, it's worth noting um, that one of the things that you can do over on the CFRE website um, is to create a free CFRE account. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily ready to sit for the exam. It doesn't mean that you're even necessarily committing, but it is free and it's a way to get started down that path and to uh, understand what it will take to complete that process. So that, that might be a good goal for folks in 2017. That, that's absolutely right. Um, the CFRE certification process is a two-part process that starts with an online application um, where the fundraiser would document their, their experience in the profession, um, their education, and also their professional performance um, on the job as a, as a paid fundraising professional. Um, and that application is absolutely free to, to start and complete online. Um, the fee structure doesn't come in until one actually has completed the application and wants to submit it for approval to take the CFRE exam. And that is obviously step two of the process. Um, so yeah, I would encourage everyone to, to start that application um, and document document their, their education, their, their experience, and their professional performance so over, the past, um, over the past five years. Yeah, I, uh, let's, let's uh, suggest that all of our listeners make a commitment to do that, again, because it's free to get started, and it's a great way to sort of start that record keeping. And then, and then when you're ready, make the commitment to begin the, the actual exam process. Right. Now, now for, for any of your listeners who may have, you know, made 2017 their goal year for CFRE certification. I just wanted to mention that the, uh, the first testing window, the, the CFRE exam is, is offered during four testing windows throughout the year. The first testing window runs from January 15th through March 15th, um, and the application okay. deadline for that window is the 5th of January. So if anyone, wants, anyone is ready and wants to sit their exam um, during that first testing window of 2017, just start the year off with a bang and, and achieve that CFRE certification. Sure their application needs to be submitted by January 5th. Yeah, good good timing to, to get that done. And if not, uh, the, the windows that come just after that, good to, uh, I think, make it a goal for 2017 sometime in the next several months. Uh, what else do you have in terms of updates uh, from CFRE for today? 
Um, well, looking forward into 2017, um, we're very excited that we, we are uh, putting the finishing touches on our application for ISO 17024 accreditation for the CFRE credential. Um, ISO accreditation is really the, the global standard for personnel certification programs. The CFRE has been accredited under NCCA, which is the North American accrediting body, uh, but the move to the ISO 17024 accreditation um, will really give the CFRE credential um, a lot more um, very uh, sort of oh that that global that and, global approach yeah. right yeah it'll have a much much stronger global awareness of of the accreditation um, under that new accreditation banner so that. That, that application is being submitted um, prior to the holiday break at CFRE, and we're looking um, forward to receiving that accreditation somewhere around the end of the first quarter of 2017. Um, also coming in 2017, we are working with our testing partner, Pearson View, um, to be able to offer um, additional test preparation res uh, resources for candidates, um, including the ability to schedule and write a practice exam for the CFRE. Um, we're not exactly sure okay. when that's going to launch in 2017, um, but it is it is definitely on the front burner for 2017 to be able to offer the ability to to write a practice exam, so so folks can you know start their study process and then as to where, measure where they are um, on a practice exam before they before they commit to to writing the 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 real and true CFRE examination. Yeah. Well, those are those are important goals, and certainly for the the global um, standard uh, moving towards ISO is is one that we we all applaud and uh, look forward to you coming back here on the nonprofit coach and giving us uh, a good good word that that's been uh, obtained uh, and uh, that just continues the advancement of the CFRE uh, credential. Congratulations on hitting six thousand. Uh, that's uh, an important uh, milestone, and uh, certainly congratulations uh, to all of the folks that uh, have uh, just received their CFRE. A good time to celebrate over the holidays, and for everybody who's listening today who's not yet uh, sat for the exam and has been thinking about it, again, let's make that a goal for you to start the process and try to get certified in 2017. Uh, George yeah, Hamilton, CFRE, thank you so much for the updates uh, today. We look forward to uh, having you back here on the show. Uh, next month and uh, give us the first update of the new calendar year. Great. Thanks very much, Ted. You got it. Uh, next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, and we're watching our, our clock here because we've got a lot to cover, is we're going to rush on over to page two. Rob Mitchell is the CEO of Atlas of Giving, and he is uh, no stranger here uh, to the Nonprofit Coach. He has uh, been one of our more uh, popular regulars each year on the Nonprofit Coach, uh, and that's because he brings a lot of data. Uh, Rob Mitchell is one of the most successful and experienced fundraising professionals and nonprofit executives in the United States. He has now spent three decades uh, as, a, as working as a fundraiser, nonprofit leader, and innovator. Uh, he's also an expert in charitable giving economy in the United States. And that's really why we want to have him here back on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, he has uh, shared with us uh, the uh, uh, 2016 report, Volume 12, um, and uh, the reason that we've got him back here is to help all of our listeners plan for 2017. Uh, we want to get a little bit of that crystal ball and the, the data uh, that uh, uh, Rob and his group uh, base uh, his work on. So welcome here back to the Nonprofit Coach, Rob Mitchell. Thanks, Ted. It's always good to be with you. Well, it's great to have you here, and, and of course, uh, uh, as we started the show today, a bit of a, a shock to the system uh, with the, uh, the presidential election not quite going the way the polls uh, had suggested uh, that it would. Regardless of what side of the ledger you're on, we're all professionals and, and have to get our work done uh, within whatever lies ahead. And that's one of the reasons why we like to have you here uh, on the Nonprofit Coach, because you track data uh, on a monthly basis. So just because we've always got new listeners and those who have been with us for a while, why don't we start off with just sharing with us what is the Atlas of Giving, uh, what does it provide, and what are you tracking, and then we want to get right into what it is that your crystal ball is seeing. Sure. The, the Atlas of Giving is um, what we do is we, we 
Measure and Forecast Charitable Giving in the United States by Sector, so arts, education, religion, etc., um, by source, individuals, foundations, corporations, and bequest, and by states. And we, uh, we update our information monthly. Uh, to do this, our methodology is that we have, uh, over time, developed 65 specific algorithms that take into account economic, demographic, and event factors that affect charitable giving and their relative strengths for each of those sectors, sources, and states. Um, our, our, to give you some idea of scope of how much information we're tracking, we, um, we realized early on that uh, we were going to have to build something that, that uh, did not exist, and that is <clears throat> a spreadsheet with um, almost a million cells in it. Um, your regular Excel spreadsheet can't handle what we have. We have 990,000 um, cells in our spreadsheet that we're taking our uh, information from. And we update monthly because situations change. And uh, the, mm -hmm. the example I like to give is um, 2001 was shaping up to be a – fairly robust giving year, and then we had September 11th, and giving dried up. If you were a non-disaster um, charity, giving pretty much right. dried up for six months. So um, events change. Uh, this has been a very uh, unusual giving year, actually. So uh, maybe we'll have some time to talk about that. Yeah, well, let me just share uh, just a, a few updates because um, we, we want to get into your, your forecast. But, but looking back a little bit, 2016 is not over yet, but what we've seen already and what you're reporting is that church giving has declined slightly by 1.1%. Um, and, uh, and, and it, but it's important because it's the largest giving sector, uh, and it accounts for nearly one-third of all annual giving. Uh, giving to environmental causes on, on the flip side of that are up 3.9%, but while it's a fast-growing segment, it's also one of the smallest giving segments. Uh, and then one of the things that we definitely want to focus on, because it, I think, continues to be a, a bit of a head-scratcher for a lot of our listeners, uh, is uh, the meteoric rise of donor-advised funds and what that actually means and why, from the position of, of this radio show, uh, the growth of donor-advised funds is good news uh, for charities and charitable activities, although uh, many in the sector may differ from that. My, my view, and I know you and I have discussed this before, is that uh, typically that view comes from the fact that they are a different animal, and even though they have a lot of money, you can't actually solicit them directly. And I think that uh, donor-advised funds uh, become uh, you know, a little bit maddening maybe for, for fundraisers, but the secret there is the donors behind the donor-advised funds because they've already donated the money and if you can identify within your donor population someone who has a donor-advised fund, uh, all you have to do is really convince them to advise a gift to you. You don't have to convince them whether or not they should give because they already have. So let's, let's talk about sort of those data sets and data points that, that you've uh, pointed out in this latest report and help us understand how that then positions you to give us the crystal ball into 2017. Sure. Well, the first thing that I would say is that in our initial report for uh, our forecast for 2016, we were actually projecting a decline in giving of one one and a half percent. Fortunately, um, that's not going to happen. And but through mid-year, when we got through June, we were pretty much flat in charitable giving, and mm -hmm. there were reasons for that. One was one you've mentioned is election discomfort. I think all of us were nervous uh, because of the two presidential candidates. We weren't sure uh, what their positions were going to be related to charitable giving. Um, um, we weren't sure about any of their positions. And so it, there was some election discomfort. There was also a lot of stock market volatility in the first half of the year. Mm -hmm. uh, Janet Yellen um, instilled fear in us of rising interest rates. Um, there Which was a, is forecast there was a to happen next week. 
It is. Uh, there's growing frequency. There was a growing frequency of terror attacks in the first half of the year, and those are unnerving to people. Brexit happened in the first half of the year. That was um, um, groundbreaking and remains to be seen how it's going to um, how it's going to be implemented. But um, right. that could make a major that could make a major uh, impact on charitable giving in the U.S. Plus, we had the distraction of the Olympics. And uh, we were also experiencing a slump in GDP. Now that was at year that was mid year. Since then, what we're showing for 2016 is that giving is going to finish at this year uh, up four uh, percent, uh, actually 4.1 percent, uh, for almost 500 billion dollars and to be exact 497.29 billion um, is your projection of what 2016 will end that's that's our projection for how 2016 will end and based on our the accuracy of our forecast month to month um, it's going to be very very close to that which yeah. is very interesting Ted because if you look at the depth of the de- of the Great Recession, in 2009, giving totaled $316.47 billion. So since then, giving has grown significantly, and there are many reasons for that. One of the things that, we, that we're always interested in at the Atlas of Giving is, are the factors that affect giving and different aspects of giving um, and their relative strengths. So just to give you an example, um, following, uh, following the depth of the recession, as you will well remember, the stock market took off on a tear. And mm-hmm. in doing so, what, we've, what we noticed was that uh, giving to colleges and universities, also environmental organizations and also human needs organizations, they were growing much, much faster than others, and it's because they rely on uh, campaign kinds of givings and non-cash gifts. And so okay. there, was a, there was a lot of uh, growth in those particular sectors, while other sectors that relied heavily on lots of small gifts from lots of donors – we're not doing well because unemployment was so high. And so churches being a prime example, we're not doing well. Um, big national organizations, um, the old hundred year organizations like the one I used to work for, uh, the American cancer society, we're not, we're not doing nearly as well as um, the environmental sector growth was doing or uh, higher education giving was doing. And so what we've learned um, since starting the Atlas of Giving in 2010 is that it's not necessarily the economy in general that affects giving. It's how you raise money and who you raise money from and where their money is coming from. So Mm -hmm. as an example, if if you fear becoming unemployed, or you are unemployed, or you have just recently become reemployed, um, your giving has stopped as an individual giver. On and um, that makes a huge difference because there's a lag. Um, it what we've what we've found is that the, there is a two-year lag um, between when a person has been unemployed and gets a new job and when they resume their giving. So that's just mm-hmm. that's just and, one and of you're many focused examples. on individuals because they take up such uh, a lion's share of the overall giving sector. Not to say that foundations and corporations aren't significant, but as a percentage of what shifts the needle, individuals are very important. It's seventy-four percent of all giving. So individuals are hugely important. Foundations, uh, excuse me, corporation corporate giving. This is one of those things you can take into a bar and win 20 bucks on. Um, 
when you ask the person sitting next to you, where do most gifts come from? Most people are uh, uh, most uninformed people not working in the nonprofit sector would say they come from corporations. Only 5% of right. all gifts come from corporations. And so, indivi- yes, you're right. Individuals are huge, they, and, and right. they continue to be huge. And, and it's actually a, a larger if you take into account that all bequests come from individuals. Um, so when you add that, uh, add that in, you're talking about 80% of the, of the giving market. So I think for our listeners, you know, a takeaway here is when you look at your giving program, are you focused 80% of your time and is 80% of your money coming from, from individuals? Um, that's not to say the foundations and corporations are not important and you have a story to tell about foundations and a reason why uh, giving uh, for foundations has grown. Yes, the, very interesting. And in the same, and some of these same things I'm about to tell you apply to donor advice funds as well. Uh, foundations, as you know, have a requirement to give away at least five percent of their assets each year. The interesting thing is that since their asset portfolios have have risen dramatically as a result primarily of the stock market. Um, foundation growth and giving has been has been truly remarkable. Um, what's also interesting is that foundations like charities, um, their reporting mechanisms are not instantaneous. And so for for a foundation that has experienced a huge bump in their asset portfolio, it might not express itself in terms of grants to actual end-use charities until two or three years later. So there, mm-hmm. there is because a of lack. the way that they because of the the way that they use uh, you know, perhaps the you know a certain percentage over a rolling three to five year average as opposed to just a single year. It's that, and it's also how long it takes them to report and to, report. to file their IRS returns, uh, when their fiscal year ends. It, all of those things enter into the equation. So your 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 um, uh, forecast for you know, end of 2016, and we're nearly there, is the foundation giving will be up 6.9 percent. So. Again, for our listeners today, taking a look at what metrics you might be measuring yourself against is our foundation support roughly around 15% uh, of your giving, and did that grow this year by roughly between 6 and 7%? Is that, that a fair, fair estimate? Uh, you're right on. Okay. Well, um, we're going to take a very quick break, uh, Rob. When we come back, I want to start the crystal ball. Um, I want to okay. uh, give our listeners uh, some good uh, planning tools as they're all listening intently on what you uh, suggest is going to happen and what should their fundraising plans look like going into the new year. And we'll be right back. Life gets busy. Wouldn't it be nice to have a central place where you could save what's on your mind? With Google Keep, you can stay on top of your world by quickly and easily organizing everything you want to remember. No matter where you are, finalize door list for Thursday's gig. So when you find inspiration, you can file away your ideas. And Google Keep stores them safely across all your devices. And when the time comes, you'll have everything covered. Save what's on your mind. Google Keep. And uh, grab your calendar next week, December 20th at 12 noon Eastern. We will have our final show for uh, 2016. And, of course, we always wrap up our calendar year with the insights, wit, and wisdom of Kay Sprinkle Grace. And uh, she is uh, with a principle of transforming philanthropy. Uh, She will be back here, and uh, her show is always one of the most listened to live shows and podcasts that we have here on The Nonprofit Coach. So mark your calendar live here on The Nonprofit Coach next week 
is Kay Sprinkle Grace. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And we are live uh, here with Rob Mitchell. Uh, Rob, we've uh, posted over on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart, a link to uh, atlasofgiving.com. So can you, um, uh, before we went on the break, I I sort of teased everyone to uh, stay Stay posted here because what we are, we want to ask you to do is give our listeners um, a look into the future and some good points that they can use internally to their organization on how to plan for 2017. What's it going to look like? Actually, what we're projecting right now is that, as we've already reported, um, our calendar year, 2016, is going to end up with giving growth at 4.1% nationally. Um, For the next three months, we're projecting giving growth at 7.9%. For the next six months, 6. That is aggressive. Now, and then for the next six months, 6.2%. And for the next 12 months, 4.2%. So it would be essentially uh, the same growth uh, over 12 months that we've had over the last 12 months. Now, but you're I, suggesting like caution- that uh, 2017 is going to come out of the starting gate very strong, and the first half of the year is going to be the strongest period. So, practically, um, how would our listeners uh, integrate that uh, that uh, forecast, that crystal ball, uh, into their operations? What would what would you recommend they do in well, the first part of the year? To ride that way. Here's some, pra- here's some practical tips. Number one, check the Atlas of Giving each month because we update the forecast as, you know, if a terror event occurs, if there's some sort of political event that occurs, um, you know, there's talk about uh, the, the president-elect's tax policy and um, eliminating the estate tax. There's, uh, there's, talk of him reducing the uh, capital gains tax, which would have an impact. And so I would just encourage the listeners, first of all, to um, keep up with, we like to say we, we have our finger on the pulse of American philanthropy. And mm-hmm. there's a reason that we update monthly, and that is because situations change. So that's the first thing I would say. Secondly, I think very practically, um, Whatever you did this year in terms of budgeting, and, you know, each organization has a different fiscal year. And um, But if, if, if what you did this year worked out to about 4%, then I would budget for next year based on 4%, plus or minus mm-hmm. 2, whether you're conservative or aggressive. Um, we've come way past the day of a CEO stick, sticking a wet finger in the air and deciding um, what growth was going to be. Because what we know now is that it doesn't matter how good your team is, how good your programs are, how good your solicitations are. Um, what's really driving giving are these economic, demographic, and event factors. And so yeah. keeping in touch with and the I, Atlas and I would is say, important. Yeah. Rob, I mean, I just want to jump in and just, you know, remind everyone that, you know, what sets your work apart is uh, this wide range of factors that go into your uh, projections and your data, but that you're constantly updating that. You're not just looking backwards to the year, but you're, because you create trend lines on a month-to-month basis, you're able to see those trends perhaps quicker uh, than, than, than have been found in the past. And I think one of the, the trends that, you know, you don't have to be an Einstein or, or you know, have a degree to, to figure out that one of the, the biggest um, opportunities right now for nonprofits, if you are not speaking to your donors about the transfer of appreciated stock, 
um, at, at this point, you're missing an opportunity because your donors will avoid the capital gains. Stock market is, is up appreciably. They can transfer that stock to you. You're, you potentially get a larger gift than you might otherwise, uh, and it's going to cost your donors less to make that gift right now uh, than, uh, than if, they, uh, you know, if the stock market goes down um, uh, in the future. So um, that, that's one big opportunity that you can start right now during the holidays. If you're not already planning on it, get something out quick. Uh, but as you're saying, uh, you're, you're seeing a, a big uptick early in the year. So the first half of 2017, you need to be aggressively out there communicating the value of, of giving to your organization uh, because, again, Rob, you're seeing in your data that that's going to be a period of time that donors are going to be particularly um, available, perhaps, uh, to give. Agreed. And I would say there are, there are um, because of what has happened in the stock market since the election results have come in, I mean, we've, we are continuing to set new records almost daily. And this is going to have an impact on foundation grants for as many as three to four years. And so mm -hmm. if you want to, if you, if spending some time on, on uh, working on foundation grants, this is the time to do it because uh, their asset base has, is going to finish the year uh, higher than it's ever been. And, um, so filing for the, you know, going after those foundation grants is going to be important. Same thing on donor advised funds and um, donor advised funds, in my opinion, have been the greatest economic, gen they've been the greatest economic change agent in the charitable giving economy since the mm -hmm. recession. Now, as you well know, because of your CAF experience, um, Donor advice funds are not new. They've been around since 1968. But what right. what happened was some somebody clever at um, Fidelity first uh, started to see an opportunity, and then Vanguard and Schwab followed. And now we've and now we have organizations like CAF, like the Silicon Valley Foundation, like the National Jewish mm -hmm. Federation, that are using successfully donor advised funds, and the the crack on donor advised funds is that there are some people say the critics are saying, well, you can just park your money. You, you can take your tax deduction in the year that you make your gift and then never give your money away. Well, if you look at the, if, if you look at the rules of these donor advised funds, almost all of them have a rule that says that can't happen. You cannot have a perpetual donor advised fund. You, your, your mm -hmm. money has to be given away at some point and right now foundations are giving away a little more than five percent of their assets donor advised funds are giving away 22 percent of their assets in grants to end use charities all you have to do yep. is the math and and if you right. figure that and i think that would know, be unless, I, I honestly think i honestly think that that number as impressive as that number is that number would go up if the fundraising community were to begin understanding exactly how donor advised funds work and communicating with their donors. I mean, one question that I have for fundraisers is, do you know all of your major donors who have a donor advised fund? Have you asked that question? Because helping guide them to give to your organization through a donor advised fund is one terrific way for you to increase the giving that you are going to receive. And there, there's so many – because donor-advised funds are so flexible, there's so much that people can do with them. If, if for example, I, I had a donor-advised fund and my goal was to um, build a new specific building or start a new program at my university, well, I, I don't have enough money now. But, but mm -hmm. I can use donor-advised fund, donor fund very effectively um, – to invest for growth and to make additional contributions over the years so that hopefully at my age, before I pass away, uh, I would be able to satisfy the goal that I have of building that new building or building that new program at my university. 
another great thing about donor advised funds is it's a terrific way for donors to pass along uh, to their children and grandchildren how you use philanthropy effectively and and how you how you make choices about who you give to mm-hmm. um, which I think is hugely important I, I'm I have as you well know which are all right which are all benefits that the super wealthy have had you know for many many decades in creating family foundations and private foundations uh, and now what donor advised funds have done is, is really uh, made that more available throughout uh, the country uh, to families of all sorts of levels of means uh, to be able to be thoughtful and strategic in their in their philanthropy uh, so so you and I both see the, the, the wave and the growth uh, of donor advised funds uh, as a positive, but I think you know, there certainly is room for a lot of education in the nonprofit sector on how do you successfully communicate with donors who have donor advised funds uh, to increase the fundraising to your organization. Yeah, and I would say now we actually have um, – you know, one of the one of the raps on donor advised funds is that is that it's difficult to figure out who has a donor advised fund. But um, I, and I, I'm I don't have any stake in this in this person's enterprise. I but I'm going to tout somebody who has come up with a way that you can identify who has a donor advised fund. And that's Gregory Warner. So okay. I, I would encourage. I would encourage people to go to his website and to check out his product. I don't even know what the product is called, but he he's he's come up with a way that you can identify who a donor advised fund donor is. And um and you have to keep in mind too that um while everybody's you know the big news in the chronicle of philanthropy lately has been that uh, okay, Fidelity Gift Fund ha- or Fidelity um, charitable has has the top spot in the lar- in the philanthropy 400. They've just displaced United Way. Well, that's right. Um, that's true, but it's also an opportunity. And um, most community um, foundations are also operating donor advised funds. So it's not as difficult, I think. I think you're dead on, Ted, when you talk about how we communicate with our donors. And I think one of the things we have to assume, especially from some of our major gift donors, is that they actually have donor-advised funds, and um, and they can use them for our benefit um, as as. Uh, fundraisers at a particular charitable organization or church. So that's right. I'm, I'm a big, big, big fan of donor advised funds. I, 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 I really, I, I think the critics of donor advised funds have a solution in search of a problem because there's that's not right. a problem. Well, and, and I think, funds. and I think it's a, I think it's a, a problem in their mind in that they see donor advised funds growing and they're in their fantasy mind all of that money would be in the hands of charitable organizations working on the ground as they say and and that simply the the statistics just do not show that that is the case because a lot of these families who have created donor advised funds have done so specifically because they wish to be more strategic and thoughtful in their giving they don't own those assets so there's no benefit to the the donor to create a donor advised fund and there's no requirement for a donor to create a donor advised fund the reason the donor advised funds have grown so dramatically is because they are useful and helpful to the donor community. So let, let me just give an example just because I, I, I want to drive the point home, particularly with the rise in the stock market um, and always giving very practical advice to our listeners on how they can specifically make a case to their donors um, that they should make a contribution now. So if a, if a donor were considering making a, a contribution to your organization, and let's say that they were that you were going to ask them for a hundred dollars, Rob. Okay, 
And you could say mm-hmm. to your donor that if you would give me $100, it will only cost you $65 to do so. How many of your donors would find that to be a really good deal? I, I think they'd want some details because they would think, well, there, there's something fishy going on here. No. What it is is if they contribute appreciated securities, which the stock market has been growing tremendously, particularly here at the end of the year, and they, they avoid the, the capital gains tax um, and the, the income tax uh, on, the, on the donation, the net cost to that donor is going to be just $65. Um, to, to, you know, depending, again, on their own tax situation. So that, that's part of what I'm talking about here. And, that's, and if there's a donor that's out there who's thinking, well, I, I'd like to get that savings, but I don't know where I want to give or I want to take my time, then taking that same $100 and contributing it into a donor-advised fund uh, or $100,000 into a donor-advised fund, they get the immediate tax deduction, and then after the holidays, when it's less busy and less hectic and family is, is taking up all their time, they can then go back to that donor advice fund and say, you know, here are the five charities that I would like you to send a contribution to, and they advise those gifts to those charities um, when they have the time rather than having to worry about, um, uh, you know, making a decision during one of the busiest time and most hectic times uh, for uh, for most people, so so how does that dovetail into your your practical advice? And again, wanting to make sure that all of our listeners today uh, make benefit of your crystal ball forecast. Well, there is one thing that I've left unsaid, and um, and that is um, things like um, November Giving Tuesday on November 29th, uh, Giving Day that comes in the spring and year-end giving, in my opinion, <clears throat> are about the worst times you could you could uh, um, get out there and try to raise money. Because it's essentially, my, my analogy is it's, it's the same thing as every network, whether it's a cable network or a standard network, putting their best show on the television on suit, on, on at the same time that the Super Bowl is taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, the competition yep. is, is tremendous. It would be better, in my opinion, if organizations would consider having their own giving day. Because mm-hmm. what happens is it's, it's essentially based on your social media anyway. Uh, it's email, it's Facebook, it's Twitter, and so forth. And what what most people are failing to recognize is that their donors are not just giving to them. They're giving to an average of four organizations. And Mm -hmm. so those donors are being hit by those four organizations at the same time. And so the, the, the amount of the gift that they're getting, while they might get a gift, the amount that they're getting would be more if they had their own giving day at a different time. Being more well, I, have, I think that's such an important point that you make because you know the the, the quick gift that that's that's given when the donor doesn't have time to consider is not necessarily the maximum gift that you could get if you were thoughtful and had more time with that donor. Um, and and in some in some cases, particularly with large donors, what I have cautioned fundraisers against is settling for what what I might might affectionately refer to as sort of the the go-away gift. You know, yes, I'm interested. Yes, I care about you. Here, take this money. Go away. I'm busy right now. Whereas taking time and and talking with those donors uh, over a longer period of time or, again, asking if they have a donor-advised fund, finding out that they have a donor-advised fund, and working with them to advise a gift to you could make many multiples of the gift you might have received. That's a great point, Ted. And um, I'll, I'll give you one anecdotal story from my past, which is absolutely true. Um, I was working with an organization on our capital campaign, and uh, we were discussing prospects. And one of the prospects we were discussing was a person who had, who was very, very generous, was a known philanthropist, but his maximum gift that he'd ever given any organization was $100,000. And and he had done that multiple times. And I asked 
our campaign committee and our board, um, if any of them knew him personally, and, and there were several of our board members and committee members that did, but one in particular was a very good friend of his. And I said, um, we needed $6 million uh, for a naming gift for a particular building. And, and I was told by most of the people in the room, oh, he'll never do that. He only gives $100,000 at a time. But this one mm-hmm. gentleman stepped up and he said, if you will help me prepare to go ask him for the $6 million, I will go do it. And so we put together all the ancillary materials. I didn't go with him. I just prepared him. I prepared, I prepared him for what questions were going to be asked. So he walked in the room. He asked his friend for $6 million. His friend said, I, I am all tapped out for this year. And because of the preparation that this guy had gone through, he said, that is not a problem you can start your pledge payments next year. And so he mm. made the $6 million contribution. So you're, you're exactly right. I mean, there are people, there are people out there that um, we have put in a box that we've considered, Oh, well, this is the most they'll ever give, but we've, mm. we've not really worked with them. And when we talk about things like giving Tuesday or year end, year end solicitations by mail or by telephone or, or by email, what it's it's a for just to be blunt it's a cop out because what mm. you're talking about is a face to face conversation where you actually get to know the donor these these other right, electronic right. Well, forms and, and, of communication and, and you're and I think you're in some cases giving uh, a lot of credit where you know we'd like to put credit but I think a lot of our listeners have have to admit that perhaps they don't even have that much planning on the solicitation and are relying on, you know, things like direct mail or phone calls or special events. Uh, And the real key here is, again, going back to getting to know your donors, understanding who has a donor advised fund and who does not, what they give to and when they like to give, and how to make that solicitation. And, and yeah, that's that's a lot more work, and it it takes a lot more time. Uh, But time and time again, there's nothing new about this in fundraising. That's where the payoff is. It is where the payoff is. And and if I could make a suggestion, having come from a large national charity that relied on millions of small gifts from millions of donors uh, that did lots of special event fundraising, what I would say is diversify. Now is the time to diversify. And whatever whatever product you choose to use to um, – put your donor base through so you can identify stockholders, uh, significant stockholders in major Mm -hmm. corporations. Mm -hmm. You can find out who your best prospects are and begin to diversify because one of these days, you know, unemployment's going to go south again. And it's, it's, it's going to affect you if you're relying on lots of those small gifts but if you have the diversification to go for the to go for some of the larger gifts, go for some of the foundation grants, go for some of the donor advised fund grants, then you then you have you can even out your your um, your charitable giving income for your organization. And I I think it's so important to diversify. Um, I, I I think I wish yeah that, I want to. Uh, I want to thank you for that because, you know, without either one of us planning it, we sort of brought this show full circle from where we started on, on page one news with that Deloitte Consulting conclusion that complacency can be a killer and looking for new skills and insights um, is going to be the key for, for the new year. I'm looking at, uh, at our time here. We've just got a little over a minute left here uh, on the show. So I want to thank you very much for your time. I want to ask you uh, to make sure that our listeners know how to reach you. Um, it, it's very easy to reach me. My, um, my email address is rob.mitchell, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L, at atlasofgiving.com. And you can also reach me through our website. You can place a phone call to the office, and uh, 
I'm very good about returning phone calls. And we have posted that link over on uh, Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart with our live uh, feed today. So, Rob, thank you very much. I think in conclusion, if you agree with me, you know, the, one of the biggest takeaways is this is the year to diversify. As you said, this is the year to not just have your fundraising program be a replication of last year. Uh, this is the year to shake things up. This is the year to learn how to work with donor-advised funds. There's a lot of money in donor-advised funds. But what that requires you to do is to actually get to know your donors because the key to fundraising from these very large donor-advised funds, including CAF America, which I serve as CEO from, uh, is the donors who are the investors in those donor-advised funds. They are the ones who make the advised gifts. So Rob Mitchell, Atlas of Giving, thank you again for bringing your wisdom here to us and helping us plan uh, for 2017. It's always an honor, Ted, and thank you for the opportunity. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Happy Show holidays, with Rob. Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.